hello everyone, my name is Adrian, if you don't know me, me at all. Uh, in terms of uh, what we're going to do now, we're going to carry on looking at uh, a bit of the Bible we've been looking at for some time now, uh, which is a letter written by Paul that's entitled Ephesians. And what we've called uh, our looking at this, this series that we're in, we've called it Crafted, as what we're discovering throughout uh, week on week is that um, we've been lovingly made for purpose. And as we say week in, week out, that if this is your first time here and if you never come back, our hope is that you leave with only one thing, and that is that you would understand increasingly that you are lovingly made for purpose. Uh, maybe you're on a journey to discover who God is, and my hope is that what you'll discover more and more is that God really loves you, and he really desires to know you, and wants you to understand that you're here for a reason. Uh, so that's kind of there. Uh, in terms of where we've got to, we're actually picking up where we've been uh, over this last week. For those of you who are regulars at Oasis, we've spent an amazing week uh, uh, in prayer where we've sought to say, right, let's give ourselves uh, to praying for who we are as a community, praying for this city, praying for the nation and praying for the nations. And so we've kind of sought to give kind of 90 hours over roughly uh, to praying for those things from Monday to Friday, from six in the morning to midnight. And it's kind of been this relay baton way of prayer. So we've had different individuals or uh, groups of people praying for an hour and then not just isolated prayer, but actually then feeding in. And so I don't know if you've been getting the blog posts either through Facebook or uh, through Medium, uh, then just kind of keep us up to speed with different things people have been praying for or encouragements that God has given uh, as we've uh, been praying. And I found it just really, really encouraging of just that sense of that we can kind of pray individually in our room and yet be part of something still that is who we are together. And that sense even of prayer, of just being connected and kind of bringing, continuing that prayer theme, we're going to be looking at a part of Ephesians where Paul prays. And what we're going to find is that this Paul that prayer, Paul, this prayer that Paul prays, I knew I was going to get tongue-tied. That's a lot of peas, isn't it? The prayer that Paul prays is one that is all about depth, something that has already come through in terms of our uh, corporate sense of celebrating and centering on who God is uh, today. Uh, and, and if you were around a couple of Sundays ago, you'll know that actually we're living with a theme uh, for this year. And what we've said is we want to be characterized by this theme of building. And we said we want that word building to kind of work itself out in who we are together in four particular ways. We said we want it to work out in respect to depth, work out in respect to breadth, work out in respect to kingdom of God's rule and reign in and through everything, and then work it out in terms of building, building, which isn't a spelling mistake. It's genuinely a sense of that we love being here, but we recognize this isn't our ultimate destination, that we really want somewhere where we can call home and we can define it in order that we can continue to build all we want to do and be in this city to reveal who Jesus is. But in it, I want to particularly look, because one of the things we've said there is we want to build in depth. And this prayer that Paul prays is one, if you like, that gives a kind of a pathway of how we can seek to build with depth, build with depth with God to a point of a rallying call at the end, but rather some tools that we can use daily in our walks with God that help us to continue to build with depth in God. Whether we're someone who is kind of at the moment looking into who Jesus is, whether we're someone who say, yeah, I've been following Jesus for a, for a couple of weeks, or we're someone who's been following Jesus for decades. My hope is in what we're going to look at, what Paul is saying here, is actually it's going to do all of us good. And we'd all see, actually, this is what it looks then for me to continue to build with depth in my relationship with God. Because every single one of us is hardwired for depth. 
There's something in the human psyche, the human kind of condition, the way we've been created that has caused us to be those that are always looking for something more. Are looking to explore, looking to understand, are looking to invent. There's looking for a deeper sense of satisfaction. There's something in the human psyche that does that. And you can look at it in the world around us, at things that are very good. You can look at it in terms of space exploration, of this want to understand that there's a universe out there and how can we comprehend more of it. You can see it through people who go to un, kind of inhabited areas of the planet and say, let's explore this area in order that we can understand something more of this planet we're on. We find there's people continuously plumbing the depths of the sea to try and understand it more because it's so unexplored. Creatures yet to be uh, kind of found are there. So we find there's something in us that's even on this earth kind of looking continuously under microscopes or looking in the big, big scale to say, actually, there's something more to understand. We find it in terms of education. From when a moment someone's born, there's a desire to say, actually, how can we cause them to understand more? To actually invest in them this sense of learning that isn't defined by kind of an establishment that kind of finishes at 80, 18 or 21 or 25 or for some people forever. That actually it's, it's not defined by an establishment but rather is something in us that gets built in that says actually you're, we're made to keep learning. You find it in terms of inventing. You have to watch BBC Two and see Dragon's Den and see that there's this continual question of how could we better this, or what about this that could help us? And some of it you look at and think, well, maybe you should have invested your time somewhere else, because that's just a crazy idea. But sometimes we find that things are just continuously changing, as there's a want to say, actually, maybe there's something more here. We find it in terms of our appetites. There's like a desire to say, actually, I'm built in me this sense for something more. I get hungry. I need to be fed. There's also a sense of I don't want to eat the same thing all the time. I want to kind of add in new flavors. And in it, it's within every single person, there is that desire to kind of know, understand, to investigate, to explore. This sense of desire for depth. And the things I'm talking about are all good. But so often we kind of get it satisfied in things that are created. And those things that are created are good. But actually there's this hard wiring that we've got within us that actually is to long for something that actually creation can't ultimately satisfy. Actually there's this hard wiring to pursue depth because ultimately we can only ever find it being satisfied in one who is the creator. And it's that that Paul wants us to get hold of this morning or even this afternoon now that we get to understand that the pursuit after God and depth with God actually is a call to become more and more satisfied. So with that in mind, let's read the verses. Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19. This is a prayer. So I'll read it. You can read it on the screen just to make sure I'm reading it right. You can read it from a Bible to make sure I'm reading it accurately. Uh, Just don't always take my word for it. That's what it is. Or you may just want to close your eyes and say it's a prayer. Therefore, I'm going to receive it like a prayer. And not get distracted by other people. Or gently snooze off so no one else notices. Um, But I'm going to read it now. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, 
he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This of depth is a prayer just as you read it, you realize there's depth there, but it's also a prayer that's an invitation to depth, to have a life of depth. And it's that that I want us to explore. Now, in it, it isn't that I want us to say, right, what we need to do then is to kind of chant this prayer daily, moment by moment, and we'll get to know this depth. Now, that may do you some good, but whereas I think that actually there's some keys of what Paul is pointing to here that actually can help shape our lives to be those that are driven and and lived for depth. And so I say there's five things I particularly want to pick up this, uh, this afternoon with, which are as follows. Approach, equipped, explore, endless, and filled. That's kind of the headlines of where we're going. Let's start off with approach then. This may be a little bit of a surprise to you, but when I was about 14 to 15, I was a bit of an idiot. I could be quite stupid. And I often found myself with some other friends who could be a little bit stupid. Now, at this point, I hadn't hit 16. Once I hit 16, I suddenly realized there were girls. I thought, actually, they don't like idiots, so I kind of changed my tune a little bit. But at this point, I didn't really realize about girls, and so I just realized that I wanted to have fun with my friends, and we sought to do that. And so we just do as many things as we could, and basically, because of the age we were at, we found ourselves mostly around school. And around school, we therefore had to invent ways that we could have fun, and so we did that through things like book fights in the library. Or who could get kicked out of the library in under 60 seconds? Now, at that point, I didn't realize that you needed libraries. I realized that as I got older that you do. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, why would you need a library? Well, at this point in time, there was no internet. And so what you had to do is that you had to go to books and discover facts. And it's still good to do that. And just as a quick plug, libraries are really good. And we need to ensure they keep being there. But it's not that part of the story I want us to get hold of. But the other game we used to play was a game called Push. Now, Push is a very simple game because obviously you can tell we were relatively simple individuals. Anyone who goes into a library for a book fight has to be a certain type of person. So Push was basically where the group of us would nominate often without that person knowing, to be the person who's going to be pushed into a random stranger for the most comical effect. (laughs) And so that's what we did. We'd generally, at any break, in between lessons, at lunch, look for opportunities for a push moment. One such opportunity came when I'd been nominated to be the one pushed. I didn't know that at the time. That's part of the fun. And one of my friends pushed me quite hard and pushed me into a guy called Carl. Now, Carl at that point was enjoying a huge slice of lemon curd pie. And so he's eating his lemon curd pie. It looked disgusting to me, but he's really enjoying it as a very slim, feeble-looking Adrian was pushed into him. And as I kind of ricocheted off for him, I'd had enough force, even with my limited body weight, to do some damage. 
And as I hit him, he was propelled up into the air and fell backwards, throwing up his lemon curd slice, which kind of flipped over in slow motion towards an oncoming man with a suit on. Now, the guy in the suit seemed to be known around the school as the head. And the head caught on his suit the lemon curd pie. The corridor we were in, which is relatively noisy, completely went silent at that point. Everyone looked at the head, seeing this kind of slice of lemon curd pie kind of gently making its way (laughs) gradually to the floor. And the head turned to Carl, and he just went, You boy, into my office now! And Carl's just, his head's spinning. He's just thinking, I don't understand what happened. And now I'm going into the head's office. So Carl's being marched to the head's office. I'm stood there thinking, man, this is all because of me. What do I do at this point? And so I think, well, I need to own up. And so I go up to the head and say, look, sir, there's a slight confession here. Carl's the innocent bystander. He was just holding some pie. It's kind of my fault that you got pied. And um, thinking, I thought he'd genuinely say, well, well done, Adrian, for telling the truth. Let's call it that. And he said, right, both of you, into my office now. And so we kind of marched. And this is in the day where there wasn't any need for openness. So it wasn't like the head's office was in the, the, the prime spot with the door flung open, which is saying, hey, everyone, you're really welcome here. Now, this is the day and age where head's offices were right at the back, and you walked the walk of shame past everyone else's office. And as you went down the corridor, there was no natural lighting, and it got darker and darker and more imposing. I can promise you, as we approached that room, my legs were quaking. And I was thinking, what on earth is going to happen now? And we go into his office and I still remember it. There's a desk there. And he goes and he just silently walks around. And when anyone's silent, you know it's going to be bad. And he walks around silently to the other side of his desk and sits. And he just looks at us. I remember in that moment, just thinking, I want to be anywhere else. I can still feel the butterflies in my tummy. <laughs> I'm just thinking, this is not going to be good. And you see, when we come to approach people, we're often impacted by who we are and who we think they are. See, at this point in time, all of you are thinking, well, what happened in the office? I I don't really mind at the moment. I'm going to leave that one hanging. That might happen. Well, I might tell the rest of that story another day. But it's not important. See, the deal's this, is that Paul wants us to understand that when it comes to depth, we need to understand the one we're approaching. And so often we can find ourselves approaching God with that sense of, oh, this is what I've done. What's it going to be like? And if we're not careful, we can start to think like it's a headmaster. And Paul wants us to understand when we've got this invitation to a life of depth, we approach one who's very different to a headmaster. We approach one not out of a sense of, oh, no, what's going to happen here? but in a fundamentally different way. And he says, actually, we're to approach God in two ways. It says in verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul wants us to understand how we approach God is firstly on our knees. Now, in that sense on our knees, it isn't out of a sense of fear. 
It's rather that actually this is a day and age when it talked about prayer, and Paul is writing this on purpose. Is in, people in this day and age would have prayed standing up. And so Paul writing, I kneel, was for a reason. You see, Paul at this point in time was in prison, shackled. And yet he wants them to understand that in this moment, as he's praying for anyone who reads this letter, he's kneeling. And that declaration of kneeling was for a few reasons. It's firstly because he was saying, I'm being, I'm being earnest at this moment. That my approach here before God is one of earnestness. It's also one of humility. It's also one of reverence. It's not one of fear. It's one of saying, actually, I'm earnest. This is something I, I'm longing for, God. This is one, I come and reveal, I understand who you are, and I'm, I'm here in reverence. I'm also here in humility before you. But then he quickly says, having said, I'm kneeling, I'm also kneeling before one who's my father. It's like this moment where he says, actually, there's this reverence, humility, and earnestness. But I just remember, it's with one I'm intimately connected to. It's one who is my father. He says, oh, what a father he is. He's, he's the father that is the plumb line of all fathers. That any father over any people group, over any tribe, over any family, throughout all ages, oh, they've always got their plumb line of fatherhood from him because he's the ultimate father. He's what a father was always meant to be. Now, for some of us in this room, when we say that word father, we think, I'm not sure if I like that. Do I really want God to be like a father? Because maybe our experience of fatherhood was limited. Maybe it was negative. And at that point, God wants us to understand that it it wasn't going to be that way. Because God as a father is one who ultimately is for us, is good, and is wanting our best. And Paul is saying, actually, when I talk about fatherhood, I'm taking you back to actually originally what it was always meant to be that all fathers were meant to use as a copy of what they were meant to be. This fatherhood is one who's good and is after our best. And he said, that's the one we come before. So we approach one, yes, with reverence, yes, in humility, but who is our father? And he said, having that moment of approaching, then the next thing is that we need to understand that God is longing to equip us. So he says it's equipped, if we go to the next slide, There we go. Verse 16, 17 says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. You see, Paul wants us to understand that actually this desire to live with Jesus at the center of our lives isn't something that we've got to now try and work out ourselves, but rather one that we actually approach God, who is our Father, who's longing to give us everything we need to live the life that we want to live. Who's caused us to live a life that's actually founded on his love and mercy. Paul says that at the very end. It's actually tied into these bits. He says, actually, we've got a life now that is rooted. That's a botanical example saying, actually, the soil at which we're growing from is one of love. And then he uses this kind of building analogy. He says, actually, what we're founded on is love. Everything we are, everything we're going to be, is all from the basis of his love for us. And if we're to live lives that live out from that love, 
Live out from that love, causing us to love God and love people. But we're not trying to will ourselves into that. Actually, Paul's writing saying, actually, no, God wants to give you everything you need to do this, to live from that place. He wants to give you strength in your very inner being by his spirit. He wants us by his spirit to come and cause us to understand that Jesus is in the very center of our being. That we're living with him at the center. And that he's wanting to cause us to understand that we approach one who's longing to give us everything we need to live from this basis of love and live out from this basis of love. He says, that's why he prays. He says, I'm praying to this God who is out of his glorious riches. I'm praying out of what you know of God. I'm praying out of who God is and everything that he's got for you. You see, the danger is that we start to think that God is limited. Because even in that, we say God's glorious riches. We think, well, that must be pretty vast. But we live in a time and age where the word unlimited is batted around loads. And the thing is, it causes us to think, I don't know how big unlimited is. What am I talking about? Phone contracts. My guess is most of us in this room have a mobile phone. And mobile phone operators love telling you, you have unlimited texts. However, if you read through the small print, unlimited text actually is limited. Unlimited texts is predominantly over most networks, just in case I need to cover myself, in case there is one out there that isn't this. Unlimited text is actually 3,000 texts. Now, how I know that is because you have 3,000 texts per month that you can send. And then after that 3,000 texts, that's your unlimited texts, you then get charged. Now, the thing is, I sometimes have to get stuff out to lots of people, and so I might text 100 people in one go. Now, if you text 100 people in one go, and you do that a number of times in the month, plus all the others that you do, you kind of get to 3,000 texts. And then when you get to 3,000 texts, you then find out unlimited isn't unlimited. And then you find out that actually you pay quite a lot for the texts that aren't unlimited. You can pay up to a pound of text for the texts that aren't unlimited. Now, in this, I'm not just saying this to help all of you in case you start sending loads of texts, though it will be a quick lesson there. Now, fortunately, my operator knows that I spend lots of money on my mobile phone anyway, so they let me off. But what it caused me to realize is sometimes we can hear that word unlimited and think, oh, yeah, but there is a limit. And if we're not careful, we can start to think with God. Actually, what we're coming to God for is there's a limit. Oh, yeah, I've kind of got my quota. Like, for some of us, maybe we've settled and said, my quota was Jesus lived, died, and rose again. That was my question. That was enough. How, come, how could God possibly give me more than that? I would say, well, okay, I'm now going to live with you, Jesus, at the center, so I'm going to take it from here. I'm going to do all I can to do what I can. Whereas actually the invitation here is to say, no, no, there is no limit. The invitation is to come to one who is unlimited, inexhaustible in resources. That's why they're glorious. And out of his glorious riches, his resources, he longs to give us strength. Strength to enable us to understand how much we're loved. Strength to ensure that we then live out of that love. Which brings us to the next thing. Because the invitation is for us to explore then, through God's strength, the love that we're founded on. See, God wants to ensure that we don't live with that sense of that botanical analogy of us being rooted in love. 
of living thinking we've just got some little surface layer of topsoil. He wants us to understand this is soil that, that runs very, very deep. He wants us to understand that we have this foundation that is deeper than we could ever imagine. And he wants us to explore it. That's the invitation. So Paul writes, verse 18, that you may have power together with all Lord's, ho- Lord's holy people, with saints and other translations, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The invitation is that we don't get to a point saying, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus loved me. Oh yeah, God demonstrates his love for me in this, that Jesus lived, died and rose again. I say, oh, that's it, that's it done, now come continue. But rather the invitation is to understand that there are dimensions of Christ's love that are yet to be understood. And that we get to live this life now exploring it in all of its fullness. Understanding its depth and width and breadth and length in order that we'd understand more and more of how we are loved. Because out of that love foundation, it then shapes our life. See, this isn't ultimately a prayer about how we then live in the world. Because that's kind of a byproduct. This is a prayer about how deep we go into God's love. The point of this is that we understand more and more of the immensity of how much we're loved by God. That's the point of this. The depth we're invited to is in love. Not intellectual understanding. Grasping things, mysteries. It's it's out of a concrete example of what God's love is. That yes, can be experienced. Yes, will be understood. So the question is then, how do we explore it? Well, let me give you just five ways I think we can be exploring God's love. Firstly, in respect to the Bible, this isn't rocket science. This is like stuff where, like, tell me something I didn't know, Adrian. Well, sometimes we need to remember the stuff we already know because it's why we do it. And sometimes we need to remember that why we do this stuff isn't out of some religious duty, isn't out out of some sense of, oh, yeah, because I'm a follower of Jesus, I better pray, I better read the Bible. No, it's because actually it's through these vehicles we're able to understand more of God's love. And as we understand more of God's love, it transforms who we are. That's quite an exciting way to read the Bible. So we read the Bible because it expresses and it causes us to understand more of God's love, more of God's love revealed through Christ. The Bible is the greatest love story that's ever written. It starts off in love. Father, Son, and Spirit always existed in love, who then out of love create, create the whole of the earth. And then destined it to be characterized by love. And yet we know the story that human, humanity decides, well, maybe there's something better than your love. Maybe there's something better than you, what you want me to do. And at that point, God doesn't then give up. Contemplates it. Because he loves people so much. He says, can I do this? This is heartbreaking. He says, no, no, I'm, I'm going to pursue you forever. And then you find the whole of the Bible is this pursuit of a God out of his love for a people he can call his own. For the whole of humanity. So you find the Old Testament, I find it funny people say, oh, there's the angry God and then there's the loving God. No, no, there's the loving God all the way through. But you can only understand sometimes how loving someone is when you realize how much they don't like it when we're not in their love. Because they want good things. So the Old Testament is continued revelations of what it looks like when you live outside of God's love and how God doesn't like that. Because it harms us. You know, when my kids do stuff, this is such a trivial example, when my kids do stuff that I know isn't for their best, I know is harming them, I'm not indifferent to it. I don't think, well, whatever. 
You know, they'll learn. And I say to him, I say, man, why did you do that? There's something so much better that you could have known. Like, it breaks my heart sometimes. And you see, and you think, why have you done that? Sometimes there's consequences put in. I say, well, because of that, we've got to learn to do this differently because actually I so want you to understand that some of what I said is for your best. I'm not just saying it because I'm some broken record. God's desire is that we know that he's for us. So for us in actual fact is why we so love getting to the New Testament that he reveals his love in saying, actually, the way I can ultimately cause you to know my love is by coming myself and living to show you what a life of love looks like, of dying in order that you can then know that love, resurrecting so you can then receive it. That's what it is. That's, that's an amazing story. And then we're told it just keeps going. Anyway, the Bible, that's the first thing there. Let's keep accelerating. Spirit. The Spirit is there in order that the Holy Spirit will come within us to understand more of God's love. Romans 8. Paul's writing saying, actually, the Spirit comes within in order that we can know that God is our Father. Together. That actually, Paul writes in this verse and says, we'd grasp together as believers God's holy people, saints, however you want to put it, those who are following Jesus, that together we're able to grasp God's love. That just simply by looking around the room and seeing that actually we're all different, that God hasn't got a type that he loves. God loves. And God loves everyone. It causes us to understand something more of God's love. The fact that each of us then understands and has revelations of God's love, which then means as we hang out together, we get to hear from one another of what we've received and had revealed about God's love. And it causes us to get hold of things that this is doing us good. We do it together through prayer, worship and contemplation. That actually part of why we pray isn't like some shopping list of, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. It's as we pray, we're talking, and God is revealing himself more to us. As we're contemplating who he is, understanding more of his character. As we worship, it isn't just a moment where we're saying, God, what about me, what about me? It's actually this moment where we're allowing the very core of our being to find voice, to understand more and more of who God is. As we worship, we get more revealed, this God of love. And then lastly, through our life experiences. That's actually what goes on. The good, the bad, and the ugly are moments where we get to understand something more of God's love. You see, Paul was convinced of this. You find it in Romans 8, where it kind of gets to the end bit. And he says, look, I'm convinced that neither being well-fed or hungry, he goes, neither kind of persecution or nakedness or famine, Actually, even death, that none of it can separate us from the love of Christ. That's his point. So actually, life experience starts to reveal that there's nothing that can go on that can separate us from God's love. That God's love truly is unconditional. So we get to explore. But in that exploring, we get to understand that it is kind of unending. It's endless. See, the danger is, is that we start to think that God's love can be boxed, whereas Paul kind of wants to break that whole thinking on us and uses probably one of the most mind-blowing verses that I can find. Verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So first of all, he says, I pray that you'd understand. 
As he says, I pray you understand the dimensions of God's love. Oh, but in your understanding, I just want you to understand also that it will surpass your knowledge. In other words, you're never ever going to know the fullness of God's love. Now, the thing is, that can do one of two things for us. It can either switch us off completely and cause us to think, well, if I can't ever know this, then I'm going to give up. Or it can cause us to actually have our appetites fully kind of wetted. That's an expression. That we start to think, actually, whatever I've known, there's always more to be explored and know of God's love. That's the point Paul's trying to get hold of. That actually, you find in 1 Corinthians 13, when he has this moment of declaring what God's love's like. And at the end of that kind of proclamation of how amazing God's love is, he says, well, you know, when we live this life, you have a life that is full of hope, of faith. And he says, but those things one day won't be there anymore. But what will always remain is love forever. What's he saying there? He's saying that actually God's love is there to be explored for the whole of eternity. That we will never, ever reach the limits of understanding of God's love. It's as though we're kind of those that climb the highest mountain. And as we get to the peak of that mountain, we suddenly realize there's an even higher mountain that we hadn't quite been able to see. And then we get to that one and we suddenly realize, oh, there's an even higher mountain that we can't be able to see. It's even like space explorers who at the moment spend all their time looking out there. And they come up with countless numbers of stars. I always think people are making it up. As soon as anyone gets to a billion stars in a billion galaxies, you just think, man, you, you lost it. I, I just think at some point you lost count, and you thought, let's, let's just say, no one's going to go count, are they? Billions and billions. But it's there, and there's this countless number of stars, galaxies out there within our universe, unending. And they say, oh, but what we've discovered is the universe just seems to be increasing. That's the problem we've got. We thought we got to the limits of it. And then the more we look, we realize that it's actually growing. And then you suddenly realize, oh, that's the picture of the one who's behind it all as this creator. Who actually we could never get to the limits of his love for us. That is there as we look and we feel like we've got to the edge. We realize, oh, no, it's still increasing. It's still increasing. We can't get to the edges. And the invitation, therefore, is this depth of saying we get to explore this endless love of God. See, the reality is this. I became a follower of Jesus when I was age 14. Still was stupid. I told that story, wasn't I? I was still stupid, but I was following him, trying to work it out. Hence why I owned up about knocking into Carl. So it's there, 14. I'm now 42. Do the math in between. I, I can't bother it. A number of years. A couple of decades in the The reality is this, the love I knew age 14 is different to the one I know now. It's the same love. God hasn't changed how much he's loved me. He's loved me consistently all that time, exactly the same amount of love, an unending love. But my understanding, my (laughs) comprehension of it is totally changed. In order that I can honestly say this, every year of my life, I get to the end of it and I realize that I have understood something more of God's love for me, which has transformed me in how I live in this world. So I just live lighter than I did age 14. I live lighter than I did five years ago. Why? Because I understand more and more of how much God loves me. 
And the invitation, therefore, of my life is I get to understand that more and more every year. I, I hope on the moment I'm taking my last breath, I'm still there thinking, man, you, I still understand something more of the love that you have for me. And now I get to finally have eternity to keep plumbing its depths. That's the invitation of depth. Because the invitation of depth is there for the last thing, which is this, is in order that we would be filled. And so verse 19, the next part, says, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Balloons. Here's the deal, right? I did this in the first meeting. It went horribly wrong, just so we all know that. I blew a balloon up in my face. So I'm hoping that's not going to happen. I also discovered some other things about these balloons, and we'll see if that works. That's all right. They self-seal. That's the other thing I found out, which isn't helpful in my illustration. This balloon is full. It's full of my air that I've just breathed into it. The reality is, for many of us, we kind of get to this point of thinking, God, you really love me. And God then says, I'm going to fill you with myself to the capacity you've understood my love for you. I'm going to fill you not with an attribute of me. I'm going to fill you with my life, my power, and my love. That's what the promise is there, the fullness of God. And God says, I'm going to fill you to the fullness of what you've understood of me. Now, the invitation is, we don't have to stay that full. As we start to comprehend more and more of God's love for us, he wants to fill us more and more with him. In order that we begin, sorry, it's going to seal up. In order that we begin to understand more and more that we are going to be filled more and more with Him. I know that's the limit. Um, I learned that one the hard way. This balloon is limited. That at some point my air will blow it. The reality is this: you and I are not. God's desire is that we would comprehend more and more of his love for us in order that we would be filled more and more with him, with his life, with his love, with his power. And the invitation then is, whatever we've known before this point, there is yet more to be filled with him. Now, the thing is, we can then think, well, this all sounds a bit mystical. No, this is an unbelievable privilege. See, there was one man who was actually God who lived on this earth. In Colossians 1, he's declared as one who revealed the invisible God, Jesus. He was also one who, was, we're told, was that where God called his, caused his fullness to dwell within him. See, the invitation is this, that we get to be like Jesus, As we understand more and more of God's love for us, we get to understand that God is longing, just as he did with Jesus, his son, to fill us with the fullness of who he is. Why? Because then we get to reveal the invisible God. This this is like, for me, just blows my mind. I think, surely not me. And at that point, God says, don't you remember? Were you a grounded agent? Don't you remember the soil you're in? Don't you remember the foundation you're on? It isn't about who you are. It's about what I've declared about you, and I love you. And therefore, as you live more and more, as we live more and more in his love, he wants to fill us more and more with the fullness of him. The question is, do we satisfy ourselves with that? See, 
Obviously not a very nice sound. I find it quite comical, to be honest. Um, you can laugh at it. I don't think it's childish at all. Um, as I said, the point is, and I'm not getting us to this moment of saying, who wants to go for this? It's rather us understanding this is a way that we're to live. Because what these five attributes that Paul's talking about of living with depth does is it's not linear. If you go to the last slide, it's actually, it becomes like a cycle. There we go. That what we find is as we approach God on knees to a father, understand that he's longing to equip us in order that we'd understand that we can explore more and more of his love that is, as we get to see, is endless. We then get to understand that we're then being filled with more and more of who he is, his life, his love, his power. It then brings us back to that point of how we then approach him. And we say, God, of what I know, I now approach you from this place. Would you come and cause me to know more of your resources, which then allows me to then explore more of who you are, which then allows me to then understand this love is endless, which then allows me to be filled with more of your life, love, and power, which then causes me to approach you, which then, do you see what I'm going to do? I keep going around all day. And this is the rhythm we get to live with. A rhythm we get to carve out for our lives daily. A rhythm we get to carve out for our lives weekly. A rhythm we get to carve out monthly, annually. That says, actually, we're going to build for depth. Why? Because we were made that way. My invitation, therefore, is why don't we use this? Use this over this coming week. Use it over these coming months to say, actually, this is how I'm going to build depth in my life in how I approach God, how I understand that he's longing to equip me, how I can explore him who is endless in order to be filled more with him. That's it. That's me done for this morning. Thank you all for listening. Please go and explore the depths of God's love for you in order that you'd understand the full magnitude of his life, love, and power he wants to fill you with.